being here tonight. If not, I wouldn't have anybody to talk to. So it's a, a joy to have you here tonight, and it's a joy for us to be here. Um, as Brother Will said, we'll be <coughs> talking more about our ministry in the coming days. Um, so please be here for that. But tonight I have the joy and the privilege of sharing with you the Word of God. And uh, it's one of the greatest joys I have. Uh, the Being called into the ministry is a, a special calling, but it's a special joy to be able to share the Word of God and to know that God will bless His Word when it's preached and when it's taught. And it's not always the way we think it will be. Uh, sometimes God uses his word in people's lives that we never know about. And at other times we do get to see the fruit of the message, the fruit of the labor that we put into studying and preparing. But the most important thing is that each one of us have hearts prepared to receive what God has for us. Um, many times we approach the word of God and we have a closed heart. Uh, toward him and toward what he wants to say to us and as a result we don't get the blessing that he has for us and so my prayer tonight is that you have an open heart toward the word of God and toward what the Lord wants to do in your heart in this time of missions conference and and being with the different missionaries that you support and uh, thank you brother door for that testimony and uh, it's a wonderful to hear about other ministries about what God's doing in other places and um, it's just a, a, a joy to be able to share with you the word of God tonight if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and I want to share with you tonight uh, a story that is uh, might seem a little bit kind of out of place for a missions conference but I think by the time we get finished with the message tonight, you'll see how this fits with missions. Um, in Luke chapter 1, we find a very familiar story. Um, ha have, how many of you have been watching the series The Chosen? Have you watched the, the different... To me, that's a fascinating series. Uh, both the biblical part of it and also the extra-biblical part that they put in. Uh, meaning that it's not in the Bible, certain things, but it's things that probably did happen during Christ's earthly ministry as he ministered with his disciples. And one of the things that I, I was sharing with my wife the other day is the number of times that in this series Jesus hugs and embraces his disciples and laughs with them. And most movies, Jesus is stoic and, you know, he's stiff and all that kind of thing. And and Jesus was human, and Jesus knew how to relate to people. And um, even the other Bible stories, as the one we're going to see tonight, many times we don't see the, the human side of things. We kind of see it as a, a, a theological, and, and the Bible is theological, don't get me wrong, but we kind of see it as something that is, is very formal and very serious, and uh, we miss the kind of the human factor in things many times. And in Luke chapter 1, we find the story of a man by the name of Zacharias. He's a, a priest who serves in the temple in Jerusalem. And 
Uh, it's kind of a sad story to start out with because Zacharias and his wife have not had any children and she has already passed the, the time for her to be able to bear children. But Zacharias is ministering in uh, the temple when the angel Gabriel appears unto him. And he tells him that uh, God's going to do a work and that his wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and going to have a child even in her old age and that they're going to ch- call the name of their son John. Well, Zacharias kind of doesn't believe him. And we know that because of the doubt that he had in his heart, the Holy Spirit made him speechless, literally. He couldn't talk from that moment until eventually his son is born. And when he comes out, the people are astonished because uh, he comes out different. If you have a routine, uh, just, just say that Brother Jeremy comes in here uh, during the week and does different things here at the church and everything and, and goes in and goes out and goes in and goes out and one day an angel appears to him here in the church and I, I imagine that his family would be kind of different whenever he got home. He would be like... <laughs> and so he gets this message from Gabriel and he goes back home and sure enough his wife Elizabeth conceives and she's going to have this child and after the the period of her her pregnancy and everything the baby's born and the rest of the family want to put his name as the baby's name Zacharias and and he says no he 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 calls for a tablet and we're not talking about a iPad or an Android we're talking about an old kind of tablet do we have that uh slide up there uh, the way they did tablets back then isn't even uh, the way we many times do it. This this one, I found a, a photo online, of obviously, that. But it's a piece of clay that they wrote on. And then they could smooth it over and different things. And he calls for a tablet and he writes on that. And you have to trust Google sometimes because I don't know, I don't read Greek regularly Supposedly that says his name is John. Now, if anybody here is a Greek scholar and can confirm that for me, that would be great. But whether it does or not, that's what he wrote on the tablet. He said his name is John. And when he did that, the Lord released his tongue and he was able to speak again. And he began to prophesy regarding his son, John. And that's what we find in in the latter part of this chapter. And what I would like to do tonight is I would like to, to read uh, verses 76 through 79, and then we'll have a word of prayer. And then I want to share with you some parallels between what John or what Zacharias prophesied about John as being the forerunner of Christ and what he has for us to do in our lives today. Whether you live here in Dalhart or whether you're a missionary in Mexico, or whether you're a missionary in Peru, or whether God calls you to be a missionary somewhere else. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79, the Bible says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, 
For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you right now and we're so grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here and specifically in the service. Thank you for the songs that we've sung to praise your name and to remind us of all the greatness and the great things that you've done for us in sending your son Jesus. Lord, thank you that you've rescued us from sin and sorrow. Thank you that you have done everything so that we can know that it is finished. And Lord, as we come before you now to study your word for just a few moments, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive what your Holy Spirit wants to teach us tonight. I pray that you would use me. I pray, Lord, that you would guide my thoughts and my words. And I pray that tonight, we can see some parallels here that will help us in our lives as we seek to do your will in the places you've called us to minister. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah, is typically known as the forerunner of Christ. And as we look at this message tonight, I don't want anyone to be uh, misled or, or, or misunderstand what I'm saying. There was only one John the Baptist. Uh, there was only one Messiah that came 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. And he came to be the Savior of the world. And John came as a forerunner for him to prepare the way of the Lord. But in our lives as Christians, as we'll see in, in some things we're going to look at tonight, I believe there's things that were prophesied regarding John that are things that need to be present in our lives as well. Because in a very real way, we are forerunners for Christ in the lives of other people. We are to take the gospel to other people. And we are to prepare the way of the Lord for them to be able to receive the message of salvation and learn of Christ and trust him as their savior and become followers of him just as we have. The first thing I'd like for us to look at tonight is found in verse 76. It says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. The first thing I see here is a preparation. There is a time of preparation. John went before Christ to prepare a people to follow the Messiah. And he did a wonderful job with what he was to do. He was kind of a different kind of guy. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he, he wasn't your typical Jew. But he came and he presented a, a, a plan. He presented a way in preparation for the Messiah coming. 
He came preaching a baptism of repentance. But he came preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Because Jesus was coming. And when Jesus came, even his followers, he said, that's him. That's who I've been telling you about. Follow him. And he said, I must decrease and he must increase. It's not about me. Even though John was, a, uh, by some people's standards, a crazy guy. He says, it's not about me. It's about somebody that I'm not even worthy to loosen the latches of his shoes. And when I look at this verse, I see the preparation in our lives as far as being part of that preparation in the lives of others as being intercession on behalf of other people. Now, you cannot pray for someone else to be saved and then be saved. In the sense of, if I have a, uh, I have an, I have a nephew who's lost. I've witnessed to him many times. I've prayed for him a lot. But I cannot pray and ask God to save my nephew and him be saved without my nephew praying and asking God to save him. That's a personal decision. Every person must come to that point in their life when they understand their need for a Savior, when they understand that they're a sinner, when they understand that they are on a, on a road to hell because of their sin and that they have to repent and come to Christ trusting him as their savior that's an individual decision but just as jesus talked about the parable of the sower there's different type of ground that the seed's going to fall on well wouldn't you rather the seed to fall on fertile soil wouldn't you rather the seed to fall on soil that's going to produce 100 or 60 or 30 fold versus falling by the wayside and the birds coming and taking away the seed the Bible says here in this verse, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Whose ways? Christ's way. And so we are to go before Christ in preparation for others to come to know him. And see, we have that hope. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Save your place in Luke chapter 1 because we'll be returning there several times during this message, but turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As David Lot, I have nothing. I have zero to offer anybody. But as David Lot, a born-again child of God, with Christ in me, I have everything to offer people. I have everything they need. I have the message of Jesus Christ to offer them. Now, in myself, I can't change their life. But I have him who can. Is that the way you have to say that? I have, I have the Lord in my life, and he's the one who can change their lives as well. And so, as we take the word of God, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, It's not I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ in us. That's the hope of glory, and it's the hope of those who are around about us. And that speaks of intercession. There are many examples of intercession 
in the, in, in the Bible. Um, in Numbers chapter 16, we find Aaron interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel whenever Korah had their time of rebellion. In uh, Exodus chapter 32, we find Moses interceding on behalf of, behalf of the nation of Israel again whenever they were worshiping the golden calf. He interceded on behalf of the people. He went as a go-between, between God and his wrath and the people that were there. Turn with me, if you would, to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. We find a very sad verse of Scripture here in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. It says, And I sought for a man among them, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. There was nobody to intercede. There was no one to be that go-between, that stay between God's wrath and the people. You may be the only go-between between the wrath of God and somebody that you know. Maybe a loved one, it may be a close friend, maybe a fishing buddy or a hunting buddy, maybe someone that you see regularly. And you may be the only hope that they have. Turn with me to Isaiah 59, verse 16. Isaiah 59, and verse 16. The Bible says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God himself was wondering, why isn't there anyone interceding on behalf of this people? And we as children of God, as forerunners for Christ, can intercede on other people's behalf. We can pray that God would prepare their heart, that God would soften their heart, that God would prepare that soil, that God would open the right opportunity at the right moment to be able to share the gospel with them so that that seed falls on fertile soil. That doesn't mean that you're going to reap the harvest at that moment, but that the seed's going to fall on fertile soil that will produce fruit in its time. Are you acting on behalf of someone? They may not have anybody else if you don't. There's a preparation. The second thing I see in Luke chapter 1 is the proclamation. In verse 77 it says, To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. To give knowledge of salvation. That speaks to me of evangelism. That speaks to me of testifying to other people. And we all know the verses uh, related to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1-8. Where we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to go to Jerusalem, to all Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. We know those verses. But turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Let's read 13 as well. 
Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds really good. But verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Anyone can get saved when they hear the gospel. But someone has to tell them. They cannot believe if they have not heard. There has to be a proclamation of the gospel. And it's your responsibility and mine. We're your missionaries representing Liberty Baptist Church in Peru now. We used to be in Guatemala. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, And the only reason I'm going to talk about that is so Brother Will can get it straight in his mind. He's having problems with that, he told me so. (laughs) But whether it's in Peru or Mexico or Guatemala or Russia or, or West Africa, wherever it is, they have to hear. And it's our responsibility to represent you in Peru. It's your responsibility to represent us in Delhart. It's all of our responsibility. My father-in-law, who passed away a couple of years ago, shared a, a statistic or a, a, a information that I was not aware of. Uh, I have been aware of it now for many years, but I wasn't when I first heard it. And he shared with me the information that the Mormons send out missionaries around the world. That I already knew. Uh, especially in Guatemala, you see Mormon missionaries all over the place. Not so much in Peru in the central jungle area, although there is Mormon presence there, but you just don't see them very often. But Mormon young people, most Mormon young people take two years of their life to serve in the mission, as they call it, somewhere in the world, either here in the States or somewhere around the world. And apparently, the only part of their costs that the Mormon church pays for is their return ticket home if they complete their two-year mission in a foreign country. They have to raise their own support. They have to pay their own way, their own tickets, their own... Could you imagine if Baptist churches did that? Where every young person had a mandatory, and in the Mormon church, it's not mandatory, but there is great pressure to do it. So it's kind of semi-man, it's like an unwritten rule. But could you imagine if every young person, when they turned 18, that they would go to a foreign field somewhere for two years, sharing the gospel at their own expense before coming back home? They realize, and and. and The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Bible. And yet they invest time and money and effort to take a false gospel. And what are we doing when we claim to have the true gospel? 
There has to be a proclamation. My father-in-law used to say the call to stay must be as strong as the call to go. I have a message I preach sometimes on missions. Many of us, those of us who have children, have heard the phrase probably regarding our own children, what part of no don't you understand? Well, I have a message I preach, what part of go don't you understand? You see, the, the, the great commission is to go. It's not to stay. It's to go. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to go to a foreign country, but we are to go. We are to proclaim the gospel to other people. I've said for many years, people often ask me, well, how do you know what God's will for your life is? And the simplest answer I can give you is God can't steer a parked car. Have you ever seen a little kid? I've got a picture somewhere of my, my grandson standing in the seat of my son's car and grabbing the steering wheel and doing this. It's, he's not going anywhere. He's like a year and a half old and the car's in park and the steering wheel's locked and all that. But we've all seen that. But if that car starts rolling, panic sets in. But you know what? I think that's the problem with, with most Christians too. We're afraid that if the car starts rolling, panic's going to set in in our lives. If you start moving for God and you're going in the wrong direction, he can steer your car to where he wants you to go. But you have to be moving. You can't just be sitting still. You're not going anywhere there. But when you start moving for the Lord, then he can steer you. We were talking during supper tonight. Um, we went to Guatemala for to work with Brother Dan Martin for one year. We wound up being there 27 years. We thought we were going to be in Guatemala until we died. And then God changed our plans and moved us to Peru. <coughs> God will guide us. God will lead us. God will direct us as long as we're moving. But when we're stationary, when we're not doing anything for God, he can't even move us. So there has to be a proclamation. There also needs to be a presentation. Returning back to Luke chapter 1, verse 79, it says, To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. <coughs> to give light to them. We are to carry the light. That speaks to me of missions. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But he says in Matthew 5, ye are the light of the world. How can that be? The same thing that we already talked about in Colossians 1. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In this verse that we just read, it says, To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He has their eyes blinded. What can you see if you're blinded? Nothing. 
We have to take the message to them. We have to take light to them. And we need to pray that God would open their eyes. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. You say, well, I just don't know exactly how to to go about sharing my faith with somebody else. I've said this for years. If you know enough to really be born again, about if you know enough about salvation to really be born again, you know enough to share the gospel with somebody else. Because if you understood what you needed to do to be saved, then that's basically what you have to tell somebody else. Paul shared his testimony everywhere he went. And basically, that is the best way to share the gospel, to share your testimony. And I'll tell you why. Because your testimony isn't really your religion. And your testimony isn't really doctrine. Because people will argue with you about that. But your testimony, you know what? People may not want to hear your testimony, but they can't argue with you about your testimony. You're the one that lived it. You know what happened to you. You know what your life was before Christ. You know what what you did to trust Christ. And you know what your life is after Christ. That's your testimony. That's what Paul shared everywhere he went. He's standing before King Agrippa. And what is he doing? He's sharing his testimony. He's telling the king what happened to him. And and some people say, well, my testimony is not that impressive of a testimony there's a friend of mine in in guatemala he before he got saved he was a member of the salvatruchas which is one of the most notorious street gangs in guatemala he has tattoos all over his body his arms but god gloriously saved him and today he's a baptist preacher he's a baptist pastor He's a Baptist evangelist, preaches all over Latin America. Usually with long sleeves on. (laughs) And he's never told me that per se, but from things he said, I believe he's probably killed somebody before he was saved. I hope it was before he was saved. (laughs) Yeah, wow, what a testimony. And even the testimony that Brother Dorb shared this evening, what a great testimony. You know what my testimony is? I'll tell it to you in a real nutshell because it, I can make it long if you want it long. But I can, I, it, it, it's real small. I was born in a Christian home. My parents were Christians when I, got say, uh, when I was born. At the age of seven, I made a profession of faith. I lived a good Christian life. I never smoked, drank, cussed, or chewed, or ran around with girls that do. And at the age of 18, I really got saved. Boring. By some people's standards. But you know what? It doesn't matter where on that scale, from from Brother David's testimony to Brother Cesar Soto's testimony, the man I spoke about in Guatemala, anywhere along that range, there are people in your exact same position. There are people that grew up like I did. And when I share my testimony, you know, I share a testimony with, with somebody that's a drunk. Well, you just don't understand. You never even had a drink. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. 
But I don't have to understand. I just have to understand what I needed to do to be saved. And your testimony will reach somebody. That's what Paul did. He gave his testimony. In Acts chapter 26, he's talking to King Agrippa, and he's telling him what the Lord told him to do. And in verse 18, it says three things. To open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Three things. First, their eyes have to be opened. We've already talked about that. Satan has them blinded. They need to have their eyes open to truth. Then they have to be turned from darkness to light. That's salvation. But you know what? There's a lot of people, a lot of good Christian people, that have only experienced those first two. Have they understood salvation? Yes. Have they trusted Christ? Yes. But that's not the whole package. And it says, and from the power of Satan unto God. There are a lot of Christians that I know in the United States and in Latin America that are still living under Satan's control in their life. The television has more influence on them. The internet has more influence on them. Their friends have more influence on them than God does. And they're still living under the power of Satan, and they don't understand the power of God in their life. Let me tell you something. You, if you're a born-again child of God, you are not a slave of sin. Period. Now, you may be living as if you were a slave of sin, but you're not. You have been set free. But you have to learn to live under the power of God. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 1. One more thing I'd like for us to see, and that's found in verse 79. It says, the latter part says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace. I've talked to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that have said, you know what, I'd just, I just like to have some peace in my life. Jesus said, I leave, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1, we find that if, if someone has come to Christ, if they are a born again child of God, they are at peace with God. They are no longer an enemy of God. That's why we go to Peru. That's why we go to Mexico. That's why we go to these other places is to tell people that they can be at peace with God. They don't have to be an enemy of God. They can come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But turn with me to, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. There are a lot of people, let me see if I can find something here. I'm going to borrow your drumsticks. There are a lot of people in this world, Christians. The Bible says here in Philippians chapter 4 
be careful for nothing. Now, when the King James translators wrote that, the people understood what it meant. And it doesn't mean be careless for everything. <laughs> it, says, it says be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about things. Don't be anxious about things. Don't be overly concerned about things. What are we to do instead? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know what we are really good at? We have burdens. These represent burdens. It might be financial burdens, health issues. It might be family problems. It might be any, you know, you can fill in the blank. We have these problems, and we don't know what to do with them. And so we come to God in prayer and we say, Lord, I got this burden and I got this problem and I just want to leave it with you. And Lord, please take care of this situation in Jesus' name. Amen. And we pick them up and take them with us again. We don't leave them with him. And you know what happens? Because we don't leave them with him, we don't have peace. Look at the next verse. It says, let me, let me read verse 6 again. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, if you do what you're supposed to, if you leave them there with him, and you quit worrying about them. You know what happens? You have peace. The peace of God. You have peace with God when you get saved. But that doesn't mean that you live with the peace of God in your life. But when you have the peace of God, and the Bible says it passes all understanding. You're not going to be able to explain it, but you have a peace even though you still have cancer. You have a peace, even though you still have that debt that you don't know what you're going to do about. You have peace, even though the family is not what you would like it to be. You have peace, even though your, 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 your marriage is about to fall apart. God's given you a peace. A peace that will control your heart and your mind. Through Christ Jesus. Turn with me back to Luke one more time and we'll close with this. There's a preparation, there's a proclamation, there's a presentation, and there's peace. We have the responsibility to be forerunners for Christ in other people's lives. But before John became the forerunner for Christ and his earthly ministry, look what happened. Verse 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his showing unto Israel. This speaks to me of three things. He grew. He had personal and spiritual growth in his life. He waxed strong. He learned to trust his heavenly father. And the reason he could trust his Heavenly Father is because he was in the deserts. He had time alone with God to be able to trust him 
and to be the forerunner for Christ that he wanted him to be. The title of my message on the screen is The Forerunner. The other title that I have for my message is Where are the John the Baptists of today? Where are the forerunners for Christ today? Maybe God's calling you to be a forerunner right here in Dalhart. Maybe God's calling you to be a forerunner with your family that live a way off and you don't see them very often, but there's Facebook and there's different ways of communicating with them. Maybe God's calling you to be a forerunner in a different country. But we're all to be forerunners for Christ. To prepare the way of the Lord so that others can have a personal relationship with Him. Let's pray this evening. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ministry that you gave John to do for your son Jesus. But I thank you also for the ministry you've given us to do in leading others to Christ. And Lord, I pray that something that was said in the message tonight would have struck home in our hearts. There's different aspects that we've talked about. But Lord, your Holy Spirit knows how to apply the exact thing to each person's heart. And I ask that you would do that. I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what no man can do. To convince of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And to help us to take the steps of faith. To do what you call us to do. Lord, work in hearts, I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know what God would have you to do tonight. I know what he wants us all to do. But whatever he's called you to do, I pray that you would be obedient to God. That you would do exactly what he wants you to do tonight. I'm going to turn the service back over to Brother Jeremy. And however it needs to be finished up tonight, I just pray that you would do what God wants you to do. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And with me, would you stand and let's sing um, about our testimony, what we have to share. It's what he's done.